Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we assemble to explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our sixth season, we're looking at The Avengers. I'm Andy Nelson from the Next Real Film Podcast. And I'm Pete Wright, introducing the Blue Pew Pew Spear. (laughs) That's right. Today we are talking about Minute Six, which begins with the agents approaching and ends with Loki surveying his destruction. Joining us on the show today, it is Kathy Campbell, back from season one. Kathy, hello. (laughs) Hello. I'm so excited to be back. I thought you guys had forgotten about me. (laughs) Oh, never. I, I feel like back from season one implies that you went to, like, Climb the Himalayas or something like that. Ooh, <laughs> that sounds doing? interesting. Right. That sounds way more interesting. <laughs> yes, don't tell us. I like filling in the blanks. Yeah, yeah. De- I am definitely a person that would climb the Himalayas. Oh, That's totally. exactly I, my Yeah, I'm going to picture, I don't know if you saw The Secret Life of Walter Mitty, the, the one with yeah. uh, Ben Stiller, but I'm going to picture that that's what you've been doing since season one. You've been, you know... Uh, longboarding Iceland. Long, longboarding mm-hmm. Iceland, yeah. or chasing the, or running totally. away from a volcano, wrestling yep. sharks, Himalayas, yep. all that, all that. Did you, like, stalk me and, like, have a film crew follow me? Because that's exactly what I've been doing for the last however many years. I actually have a podcast called It's So Kathy, and uh, <laughs> it just documents all of, your, all of your travels. <laughs> Excellent. I should subscribe. <laughs> Oh, so we are here talking about Minute 6. But before we begin, Kathy, because it has been a while, I just want to check in with you and the MCU, uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Where do you stand with all of the films? Have you been kind of keeping track? Did you kind of hit a point where you're like, I'm kind of fading on this? Where are you these days with this crazy universe of films? It's definitely been a heck of a journey, especially when you throw in the television shows, which I feel like the TV series have been pretty like super hot or super cold, depending on which one we're talking about. Like WandaVision was incredible. Like what a great way to, you know, bring some humanity to a character that I still feel has, we're, are we, we're spoilers, right? We're, yeah. We're totally. spo- yep. Okay. Yep. Okay. Just, just making sure Wanda had this great bit of humanity and then gets completely screwed over in Dr. Strange, Mm -hmm. which made me furious, especially when you line it up with the movie that with Christian Bale, who played the back. Thor, Love and Thunder. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Clearly I am a great (laughs) memory person on all of these movies, but like comparing Doctor Strange to uh, Multiverse of Madness, right? That's what it's called. Um, With Thor Love and Thunder and the journeys of a parent losing their child slash children and how they're both villains and yet how they were treated really made me angry because clearly... You can show the realities of child loss and child, like, the anguish and how it can turn you into a villain, but treat you as a human as opposed to Wanda getting completely just, oh, she's emotional. Look. <laughs> and, I, like, that was so frustrating for me to see, especially so close together. I think if there had been a couple uh, stories more in between it would have been not as 
like strongly worded in my brain of things <laughs> that I can't say on this podcast. But yeah, it just it's like they need more women writers and in charge of all of all of that because the women just get screwed over yeah i think if they had released that in the 30s they would have just uh, written her off as uh, oh she's she's having hysterics yeah yeah hysterical right <laughs> yeah right yeah no very frustrating very frustrating but um yeah and, and i think it's a it's a real up and down as far as um you know how things have been going in the in the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe, but it has been interesting. And getting to this point where we finally are building this team, I, I mean, do you like how they kind of built to the Avengers? And do you do you like the what they've done with as far as like the team films, the different like the four Avengers films that we've had, where it's kind of the whole group of them? Yeah, and I think I think it's really interesting to see the ensemble nature of them. Um, even I would argue um, Winter Soldier is also an Avengers film, even if it's not titled an Avengers film. You know, it's Avengers Light or whatever. But once again, they do the women dirty, and that makes me angry in every, in every, like, just once, other than the moment of she's with us you know oh look woo, girl power <laughs> like it was so heavy-handed to be like oh darn we've treated <laughs> these women so terribly for all of, in all of these movies let's 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 throw yeah. them a bone this is a make <laughs> like, good right right yeah. like look we'll we give you one moment really <laughs> appreciate yeah. the females like isn't this enough um with the exception of that if i can turn that part of my brain off i think it's Really interesting how these ensemble movies have moments and time to really build each of the individual characters to then launch them off onto their solo movies in a way that links them and it gives you more context, but you don't necessarily have to have seen all of them to get the story. So, like, if you miss a couple of the movies or even the TV shows, yes, you're going to, like, miss deeper parts of the interlacing, like, big, epic, whatever. But it's still a, an acceptable standalone movie that you can watch and be entertained and enjoy. Just that big, glaring elephant in the room that mm -hmm. makes me angry if I think about it too much. Uh, well, so when you saw this film, had you seen all the films leading up to it? The two there was Iron Man, The Incredible Hulk, the Iron Man Two, Thor, Captain America, the First Avenger, um, and all leading up to this one. I definitely had seen Iron Man, and I think I had seen Thor. Maybe I don't know. It was a very long time ago. <laughs> there are a lot of holes leading up yeah, to Avengers, though. Yeah, I definitely had seen either Thor or Captain America. I don't remember which one I had seen. I think I think it was Thor. Yeah, but I hadn't. I don't think I watched the second Thor for a long time. Yeah. Because everyone was saying it was terrible. Well, if you had seen Thor, that would have been your introduction to Loki. So, uh, you know, considering this minute is kind of our big introduction in this film to Loki as a villain. I mean, we've seen some shots of like his hands taking the scepter and had a sense that there might be somebody we know uh, behind all this. But this is really the moment where we get a sense that Loki is going to be the villain for the film. So, I mean, if you had seen Thor, you probably would have at least recognized him. But if you hadn't, you probably were like, hmm, who's this frightening fellow? I think I remember not having seen Thor 
And then I went back and watched it after I saw Avengers. I think because I wasn't deeply in the everyone talking about this space for the movies, if I remember correctly. But again, a very long time ago, and I've slept several times since then. (laughs) (laughs) Once or twice. A lot of cognitive house cleaning. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, But the more I think about it, the more I think that this was my first introduction to Loki, and then I went back and watched Thor. um, Because I was like, oh, okay, what's going on? This is interesting, like really, Mm -hmm. really interesting, especially his introduction to a bad being a bad guy in this in this movie that's actually a weirdly compelling introduction to watch thor as a prequel to the avengers Mm, yeah like to think of it that way it's actually kind of an interesting bit of building backstory for this character yeah yeah especially because they they prepped avengers in such a way that it let you have missed thor and you still get the story i mean not just because loki's in green and evil face shooting the good guys like you can you can tell that like what his deal is yeah well that's an interesting kind of approach to this film because inevitably when you're dealing with a phase one like this where they're trying to kind of create this thing that's going to build and i mean we've talked about this a number of times with various guests over the course of these seasons that like well i didn't see that one because it didn't really appeal to me and it wasn't until the avengers that i thought oh this is interesting and that's when i went back and watched them and to a certain extent um you know and it I suppose we could. It would be interesting to also talk about the director of this at some point too, since there's a lot there. But having to craft this team story that is building a team for the film, but also doing it in a way where it's it's okay if you didn't see some of those previous efforts. You know, like to a certain extent, when Thor shows up in this film, it kind of feels. I mean, to a large extent, he's really being introduced to most of the characters in the film. It was only a few people on earth who really ever met and interacted with thor and so to a lot of these people it's like this is their introduction to the god of thunder and so for those people who might have missed the movie well it's your introduction to the god of thunder too and you kind of get a sense who the guy is and that's okay and um that's yeah i suppose part of the the challenge of putting a story like this together is needing to kind of craft it in a way where you are allowing those introductions to be an introduction still, even though they've already had that, you know, introduction, or as you said, Pete, these prequels that you could potentially go back and look at. Well, I I think that's, you know, Andy, one of my favorite concepts that you and I have ever come up with on this show, I think is episode (laughs) one, season one, you got to earn your wizards. And in many respects, we're coming back around to that, right? We had this grounded Iron Man story, and it showed us what a single superhero movie is like. This movie allows us to see what a team up movie is like. And we have to kind of earn how they integrate with one another, because in later team up movies, they skip that. They hand wave that. Mm-hmm. And they're just the Avengers now. So what does it look like to bring these characters together? And to the degree that that works for you is the degree that the movie is successful, you know, I, I think. And so I think these introductory moments like this minute, the Loki Joker face, like when he pivots <laughs> up is so perfect to engage. Like, here's our nemesis. Let's start with, you know, 8 a.m. day one. Here's the nemesis. Here's who we're dealing with. And he's he's going to go through some stuff uh, in this 60 seconds. Yeah. And it, it it really feels like the second book in a trilogy where 
obviously you need to read the first book, but if you randomly pick it up at, I don't know, a garage sale and you don't realize that it's the second book, you can usually get the story or like the, there's always the little bits of throwbacks to the first story of like, oh, you know, so-and-so married this person but they went through a whole, you know, deal and like there will be like a little line that just references the first book that you can you can read it without needing the first book, but it does help the overall story. And this feels very much like that, especially if you think about when this movie came out and when like big ensemble superhero movies wasn't a thing. Like, this was the first idea of, oh, you know, we've done these superheroes. What happens if we put more than one together? Hmm. Yeah. And, like, yeah. building that into what now is just, you know, normal. But also pulling in people that maybe hadn't seen the previous ones because, oh, you know, I don't know. Who's Iron Man? Like, what is, what is this? This doesn't matter. Or, you know, Thor, whatever. These are, these are for super, like, the comic book fans. But, oh, we've got all of these actors together. This could be fun. What's going on? And then throwing the director in there and, like, all of the promotional stuff that I think this really got outside of the comic book fans in a way that the previous books or previous movies hadn't quite reached. Like it kind of got word of mouth from the nerds that had seen it or like the Robert Downey Jr. fans or, or whatever, but Avengers really built it and started getting that avalanche of, okay, this is, you know, a whole thing going on. Well, and it was hard too, because I mean, comic book movie fans had seen the Batman films, the Tim Burton Batman films, where, you know, initially it was Batman versus the Joker. But then they're like, well, let's do Batman and Catwoman and the Penguin and uh, Max, whatever his name is, uh, Christopher Walken's character. And then by the time we get to the next one, okay, now we're going to have, like, they just keep amping it up. You've got more villains and more heroes and all these yeah. different people. And to the point where fans were kind of like, or audiences were like, there's just too many people in here. You know, it's hard yeah, to pay attention to Who is that again? Yeah. yeah. Why are yeah. they here? And and same thing with the the early Spider-Man films. By the time you got to uh, Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 3, it's just like, oh gosh, you got all these different villains showing up. And, and that was a big thing with the Andrew Garfield ones too, where it's like Rhino is in the trailer and then you see him for, you know, two seconds at the end of the movie. It's like, it's just, it started feeling stupid to throw so many things in. And it felt like uh, it, it, it just something to create a draw for fans to come into the movie because you had all these things potentially you're selling more toys and all this stuff but it just bloated the thing and so i think that was a big worry yeah and i think they they managed to figure out how to do it and i think that was this was really kind of a big test to try showing we can do it we can bring all of these you know uh, a-list actors into one room and still tell a compelling story that for the most part, gives all of them something to do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for a while, you thought that, like, it, there was an impression that studios thought this kind of movie was just impossible as a result of all the bloat that we'd seen a decade before. Um, so what a relief. Yeah. 
Well, let's uh, talk a little bit more about this particular minute. So here we are. Um, Loki has arrived in his interesting little Terminator-style <laughs> portal <laughs> teleportation thing. Uh, it's it's I don't know. It makes me laugh every time I see him arrive because it does feel so much like straight out of those like a, a a reference to those films. I've never heard them say that, but it certainly feels the way that that he does that. It's not like a portal opens and he walks through. Like he's literally arriving on like on one knee and then does In the Hero stand pose. and everything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Except he does the stand and then gives a crazy face. Exactly. <laughs> I think they don't. They've never said it because really they don't need to. Like, come on. (laughs) Of course. Of course it's Arnold. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and even if it's even if they they may not be saying it because it might also be so deeply rooted in what they feel like it should be that they hadn't necessarily directly linked it of like, okay, we're going to put this, you know, screen by screen moment and and replace it it just lives in their brain for free yeah, right it's so right, that's absolutely. so you can you imagine like the the filmmakers storyboard artists sitting down like 10 years later and saying let's just put on terminator for fun and seeing that scene be like oh my god what oh, no! have we done oh my god <laughs> I you mean that people have familiar. been talking about this and I never saw it? <laughs> Why didn't you tell me? And there's some grip who's like, I totally told them. I, I, I totally told right? them. Yeah. <laughs> you sure that's not a little bit Terminator? Yeah, right. <laughs> All right. Well, okay. So let's talk about Loki. This is the big reveal of our villain, and it is a full-frame crazy face that he gives us. Uh, I mean, it makes sense that he's showing up. He was the first real villain in the actual comics when the Avengers teamed up, so it does make sense. I mean, where do you stand as far as Loki as a villain? Do you like do you like him in the in the film? Do you think that he works as a villain for our team? I love me Loki. Mm, okay. I love Loki in so many different layers. The television show, mwah, fantastic. <laughs> Give me more Loki. Um, but also in this film specifically, there's such a deep, like, pure evilness to him that he's just like chaotic evil. And he just comes in and he's like, I'm just going to, you know, do whatever I want. And like, oh, I'm going to pick this one. This one's mine. I'm going to turn him blue eyed or whatever. And just like the the perfect evilness layered in there and i think it's really striking how evil he can be and still in the future turn out to be like a character that you want to like and a character that you like he earns those emotions and the feelings that you have in the future He's an interesting character. I didn't like him a whole lot initially. Like I thought I thought okay, he's fine as a Thor villain. He makes sense. He's from Asgard. And then he was in this film and I think my problem with this film is that it I you know, because he's kind of tied into the other and Thanos and the Chitauri army and stuff, it felt like, you know, is he just like this puppet villain and I don't really care about him? But I did feel like and I really wish that the Marvel Cinematic Universe would do this more where they took a villain that was actually a really interesting character and didn't kill him off and allowed him to kind of continue developing to the point where he got a show and became a really compelling character. And like, that's what I think is interesting about Loki is that we're getting many more sides of him as, as 
as a person. And I just don't think that they give enough characters that, but I really enjoy him. Yeah. Yeah. I do. Th- I do think though, that this, this setup for Loki has made an impression on future villains. Like the whole Thanos thing, you can see where he's coming from. You can see like, obviously don't kill off half the world, <laughs> Unless we get to pick and choose which half. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But like, a little, you can, little you Thanos can... rearing its head now. That's right. Just right. a little bit. Just a little, <laughs> <Thanos>. <laughs> just a little bit. Um, but you can, you can kind of see where he's coming from. And in Thor, Love and Thunder, you can see, like, instead of just making them bad guys, this this journey that Loki has taken has really like set the foundation of oh what if we give them some humanity what if we make it not just pure evil because really the previous movies had had that oh this is the bad guy even if it's a this is the bad guy in disguise as a good guy. Ooh, we flipped it on you. Like (laughs) you didn't know there, there was still that almost like deeply evil, like goals for them. Whereas after Loki and after Loki kind of does stay alive and, and continues on that growth, you see the villains become more complex and you see them have a little bit of not pure evil behind them. I think it's also just important to note how much of an advocate Tom Hiddleston has become over the mm. years with Loki. Like he, as a human being and as a, an actor, has, uh, you know, according to his interviews, has gone back to the mat a number of times with both joy and how much he loves playing the character and sort of a sophisticated under- understanding that where he started kind of flip-flopped its way all the way to Loki, the TV show. And um, yeah. so that character, I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of on the fence. Like part of it, I, I agree with you, Andy, that he, he feels very much like a puppet, like they weren't sure how they would mature him later or didn't give any consideration to how they might have to mature Loki later. And only when they discovered it, like, we're going to lock this character in over the subsequent films as he's a prisoner, as he's dragged around, as he starts moving through time in the show, did they really start getting it right? Yeah. Uh, and now I'm I'm with you, Kathy. I, I love Loki. He's one of my favorite, uh, you know, sort of nemeses in the MCU. He's terrific. Which makes sense as a character that has come back so often in the comics, too. You know, I mean, it's right. It's, he's a very interesting character. You know, I suppose part of it is, and I, you know, I was reading about the Scepter uh, before we recorded today on the Marvel Cinematic Universe wiki, just a little bit more about it. And it sounds like actually they had kind of intended that one of the things going on with Loki here is that. Yeah, he he has the mind stone in the scepter, but Thanos or and or the other, I'm not actually sure which one, but they are actually um controlling Loki's mind yeah. to a certain extent with it and having him do all this for them, which I thought was interesting. But I, I suppose, Pete, you know, this was a question we had um in our conversation last week about why is Thanos just letting one of the infinity stones out of his control yeah. to go off to earth with Loki well i guess that potentially Unless is why it is in his control because it is yeah. in his control to a certain extent so and i i wonder if if that is the case if the reason that 
it works so well with Loki too, is that it's not fighting against his baser instincts. Right. So like with Hawkeye, you, he has the full control and his eyes are blue because he's forcing him to do things that he doesn't want to do. Whereas Loki's like, Sure. Take over okay. us. Yeah, be the king. Cool. Absolutely. That sounds fun. <laughs> I'm an entrepreneur. I'm yeah. <laughs> I don't have anything until, you know, two weeks from now. So, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> let's go ahead and take over the universe. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Well, and that's, that's what happens here. So this is the moment. So Loki stands up. And, of course, uh, Nick Fury's fantastic line, Sir, please put down the spear, which <laughs> is... Uh, it's it's so Nick Fury. It also does a great job of that Samuel L. Jackson. Like I'm going to diminish you as as uh, you know whatever power uh, you know vain glory you have right now by just calling your little toy just a spear. Like I just right. it, it feels so diminutive of Samuel L. Jackson to say that, and it cracks me up to no end. <laughs> well, it also fits too because he doesn't know what it is. So yeah, sure, yeah, right. you, you got to identify it with whatever words. Yes, it's blue and glowing, and probably like some sort of magic something because obviously that's what you're expecting but yeah i will call it what i call it um and i wonder i wonder if this had been made now if they would have not done sir like if the assumption of gender would have been looser Mm. in that sort of conversation like if nick fury would have some sort of like um i don't even know what it would be but you know especially as we've seen with the tv show like the sexuality of loki has been a deep conversation and also with the the gender roles and i guess humanity roles if you look at alligator loki like (laughs) who who loki is deeply inside comes up like that would have been an interesting like change i think in the future if they had done it like more recently yeah uh or if they just would have kept it the way it is because you know you don't want to offend someone well yeah but i mean to your point it is interesting they are across the room like they are a ways away from this person who appears out of nowhere from space with long hair, i mean yeah calling sir or ma'am either one of those might have been incorrect from the get-go you know yeah. like he has no yeah. idea what just came through especially with long hair you you can't necessarily tell with the clothing that is being worn but also the fact that it's an alien yeah yeah like who knows what sort of gender roles there are in space yeah or on different planets or something and so identifying you know uh, i was gonna say americanized but earthized earthized gender roles yeah, yeah pretty presumptive it's uh, it's very interesting and uh you know perhaps some of that comes from the director of this film who we haven't really talked about at all but uh mm. joss whedon is the writer director do we need to I talk like, about him that's kind of it i like to call <laughs> no, just kidding this is something that we started on our uh podcast because uh probably because of ridley scott and i'll probably do this throughout the show um, when Ridley Scott recast Kevin Spacey with Christopher Plummer, we started just calling, you know, all, anything that Kevin Spacey was in, we, we recast it as we were talking about it with Christopher Plummer, which we thought was very funny. And then Christopher Plummer t- died. And so then we switched over to Tignataro because Tignataro, uh, was, uh, she ended up replacing a particular person in Army of the Dead. And yep. so I just like to say, we're just going to talk about Tignataro. <laughs> 
as the as the writer director of this film. Yes, The Avengers, a classic of Tignataro's catalog. <laughs> yes. You know, I I do think I, I you know we haven't really broken the seal on the Tignotaroness of uh, of this movie and the fact that there I mean it's a problematic thing and um you know, so I don't know Kathy do you, I mean you say do we need to talk about it but do you do you have thoughts if if we say this is the one and only time that we're going to break the seal on this particular <laughs> issue and it's yours to do what would you say. <sighs> There's a deeper conversation that I feel like would be a whole other podcast about acknowledging a property or product that has been produced by a deeply problematic problematic human that has maybe brought concerns for many things, for many reasons, out into the world and still really deeply dislike the societal and like problematic issues in you know movies and filmmaking as a whole that are still very rampant even today you know you talk about Harvey yes Harvey uh and everyone has a story everyone has and and not just uh female presenting humans out there but there are many many stories that have not been told that i would imagine it's scary especially with the amount of power that these uh mostly men wield in the job and career that these humans want to have and be a part of and love and i think it's really i'm glad that it's becoming more talked about and i'm glad that it is more is getting out about the truth behind this and people are being held accountable but there are still so many dirtbags out there and they don't have to be disrupting a-list movie stars to be problems and i think that it needs to be if i could just listen when we're we're snapping those fingers i know some <laughs> yeah, of the people you know that are going to get <laughs> yeah i know right. who to pick <laughs> right. well and our position has always been like even when we were navigating how to handle this movie our position has always been with problematic people that um, there are also thousands of people who worked on these properties that aren't problematic and mm-hmm. love the work and create wonderful, wonderful things. So we're not going to to completely disregard entire films as a result of a person, but we will call them Tignataro without any issue whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed, yes. indeed, and and hopefully the in the future, um, more people that are not being directly affected by these issues will hold other people accountable yes to say you know that's not funny or yeah should you be doing that or what i don't understand can you explain to me why this joke exists just what what's the what's the comedy behind it i yeah, don't right. understand yeah and then they're like oh well whatever they can't say the things because it's not socially appropriate to use those types of words but you can make a joke about it because it's okay right right yeah it's it certainly is something that i have a feeling we'll be touching on over the course of this season and down the road as well when we get to 
the Age of Ultron. But I mean, and, and, you know, in situations like this, as we were just talking about, just the use of Sir, like, there's another potential reason that that is here that could have led to different scripting had different people been involved with it. But yeah, you know, part of this, let's let's kind of move on, though, because what happens is Loki goes crazy. What I think is interesting about the way that this scene starts off is Loki kind of he has this look at the spear almost like. Uh, he had forgotten he was holding it or something. It's it's kind of a funny way that he kind of comes into it. Like, oh yeah, I have this and hey, let's see what it can do. And then he just starts going crazy with, as you said, Pete, the blue pew pew as he starts. Yeah. Kind of yeah. Like blasting everybody. That's his like, I'm going to take this for a spin look, right? Like yeah, right. you really get the feeling he was just handed it. Like he just got it, it a minute ago. And now He's going to take it for a ride. And I love it. Let's I love see this. what happens. Yeah, the whole joyridey <laughs> aspect of this sequence is fantastic. And then, you know, in the next minute, we continue with sort of the punchline on that. So we'll yeah, definitely right. get to that. But this is just him, you know, exploring. Look at look at this newfound power I have. And I that's enormously satisfying to me. <laughs> it, it makes me wonder if so if you layer in this idea that, um, you know, Thanos is kind of controlling. Is there some sort of like mental words that go into his brain and Thanos is like um excuse me yeah. Thanos to Loki uh you've got the thing in your hand would you please use it instead of talking <laughs> and making jokes like just just shoot them with the blue pew pew right. go for the blue pew pew we're go for blue pew pew yeah we're paging Loki pew-pew. on Isle Earth please take care of business <laughs> clean up aisle three yeah the the interesting thing about it that, uh, you know, we debate how much did Kevin Feige have planned ahead by the time he gets to this point, because it is Blue Pew Pew, which we just saw in the last movie go crazy with the Tesseract, which this is not. And so there is an interesting element to what we're seeing here that feels like, oh, I've seen this before. I've seen the Blue Pew Pew in action this must be somehow tied into the Tesseract or something. And I suppose that's an interesting element as we start kind of learning what these things are. Like at this point, does this just seem like a weapon or do you recall at all? Did you think that this was somehow tied into the Tesseract? I had... Or does it just seem like a space laser? (laughs) How do I say this and make me not sound very, very slow? Um... I didn't. It took a long time for me to get the Infinity Stones thing as a as a whole, and so I was like, "Oh, look! It's the same color as the other <laughs> like fancy thing." So clearly, this is just space lasers are this color, right? Like that's the makes makes sense to me. Everything's a blue beam. Everything's yes. a blue yeah. beam. So it might as well just be that. Yep. Exactly. What I do like about this is we do start seeing Loki as the Asgardian that he is, albeit also Frost Giant, uh, but we're getting a sense of him as this god creature. Uh, he does this massive leap, like this long leap across the room to stab this agent in the chest, in the process, knocking down another one who we will keep talking about because I'm very impressed with this one particular person. He's the one standing right behind the guy who gets stabbed in the chest. And then Loki does his knife throwing, which is something that we had seen in the last film as he whips out two little, uh, makes them appear, two daggers, and like throws them at two other guards, taking them out. Uh, There's 
I, I love the way that it's not just blue pew pew, but it's now we're getting a sense of, oh, this is the Loki I saw in Thor. This is the one who, I mean, he has the power of the gods. He's doing things. He's throwing his daggers and stuff. It felt very cool. And I, I really liked that. Do you, do you two like the way that this, they kind of expand on what Loki's doing here? Well, I just have to say, Loki gets shot in the face. And I had never seen that before. In all the times I've watched this movie, I've never seen that particular shot. He gets shot across the head and it heals lickety-split. Instantly. I love that addition because the rest, it just feels like things are bouncing off of him. And so weirdly, he's not completely impervious to, you know, to physical impact. And we'll see later things that maybe should leave more very brief marks on his skin that do not, uh, but this one works for me. It's so very subtle that I noticed that, too. Like, it's, you know, it's like three things. That, it's, like, it's like bullet, li- it's like lines where the bullets, it's almost like, like they... Scraped him or something. Yeah, they, it's not yeah. right. It's like they ran across his face and left yeah. big tracks. Yeah. yeah, and there's only a couple frames where it's there. So it it's not made a big deal of it. It's not a huge like, oh, look, he healed this. Whereas, you know, I think now even they would have had a like, he's going to be standing here and you'll see it knit together or whatever. It's just like a throwaway thing almost where it's like, oh, look, hi, if you notice this. This is cool. Otherwise, it's just bouncing off and that's fine. But I like the physicality about it, too. You know, he is jumping across the room. He is throwing the daggers. He is like, you can tell that he's a warrior, that he is physically part of this, not just a space wizard. And I think that's really neat. It it plays really cool the way that he's leaping all over the place. And then um, and, and he's blasting. He's he's doing all sorts of stuff with these guys. The one guy that I was calling out, the one who gets knocked over, he then stands up. And I I only noticed this because, again, when you're doing this you know, frame by frame as you're scrubbing through these minutes, he stands up and tries to shoot Loki. And this is when Loki blasts our NASA scientist and takes her down. But then uh, he uh, slices at this guy and 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 hits him with his uh with the tip of the scepter before he does some more blasting and then he's the one who loki uh kicks into the wall and so this guy gets hit basically attacked three times by loki and i just i marvel at that because loki calls uh in tomorrow's minute we'll talk about what loki says to to clint but i'm like this guy kind of deserved that too he was <laughs> he had an awful lot of heart let me just say I was yeah pretty impressed yeah. with him and he did it all in a suit. Like, right. yeah, yeah, he's a power hitter. <laughs> yeah, he's he's in the in the the shield agent suit outfit as opposed to the shield agent uh, military leathers outfit. Military yeah. leathers, <laughs> yeah, exactly, right, right, <laughs> leather. <laughs> So, all right, we have Clint. Um, he sees what Loki's about to do. He knocks uh, Fury out of the way so that they don't get killed. And then um, what I found interesting here, and I, I'm curious both of your takes on this, um, Clint and two of the agents uh, hop up and start shooting at him. And I was like, why isn't Clint shooting arrows at him? Did either of you have any thoughts on that? This is, I mean, technically, other than the, 
in Thor, when we first meet Hawkeye, he goes up into the into the crane and he's holding an arrow as he's kind of watching Thor take down the uh, in the the hamster cage. But this is really kind of our introduction to Hawkeye as the character in a film where he's really going to be a bigger part of it. And he's not using arrows. Did did that strike either of you? It didn't, but now it does. <laughs> I had no idea who he was. So like... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Some guys just shooting. Okay. <laughs> That's really funny. I had no concept. I was just like looking... At, now I look at it like, why does he just stand there with that dumb look on his face? Pick up an arrow, bro. Like, get right. to work. It's your jam. It's the only thing you have is like shooting right? things very precisely at other things. Go ahead and do it. And he doesn't lift a finger. With all these, you know, yahoos pointing guns at this guy. I don't know. I mean, I I guess there is a bit. Like, if we're asking Renner, if we go up to ICU and we say, hey, Jer, I know you're still recovering about the snowplow thing, but let me just ask you, what were you thinking? I'll bet he'd say, oh, well, I guess my character was just shocked at seeing this alien come in and maybe, uh, you know, he just wanted to take a beat and see what he was dealing with. I just think it now suddenly, quite suddenly, thanks to you, looks ridiculous. That's what I'm here for. I I wonder if it was a way to place him as a not just background guy. Like it's because like everybody was shooting. So because everyone was shooting. Yeah. Well, and like having by having him framed with fury, you're seeing, oh, this is someone special. Yeah. Because he's wearing the same clothes, you know, those leathers. He's he's looking like a military person. And if you have no idea who he is, which that was me, uh, you're like, <laughs> oh, he's someone. I knew I don't even know if I had seen anything with Jeremy Renner in it. So I would have no way of knowing necessarily that he was someone who had been cast. Yeah, you hadn't seen Thor at this point. Because I hadn't seen Thor. Right. And so I had no idea who he was or what. But context clues of him standing next to Fury and not being one of the ones that's going to, like, pew-pew at the pew-pew is, like, a good, like, indication that, oh, something's going to happen in the future. And, like, we'll talk about in tomorrow something does happen something yeah well i i will i will say i did just go back to minute four to check i'm like maybe he just didn't come down with his arrows and in fact he doesn't and uh, so i suppose that may oh. be why he doesn't have anything because i mean let's be honest they weren't really expecting an attack at this point he just he was watching to make sure that everything was going okay with selvig and his experiments and he came down to talk to fury but uh to a certain extent maybe it's just that they weren't really expecting attack, so he doesn't have his his uh, his bow and arrows with him. But he does have his gun because that's always a backup. That's always on him. Yeah. But you guys, it's Hawkeye. I know. Hawkeye no. is the arrow guy. In fact, in you just made Hawkeye. it worse. <laughs> no, he's not he's in his Hawkeye guy. costume. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to fit a bow and arrow in your back pocket, dude. Come on, this <laughs> is up, and he does. Oh. I just feel like Hawkeye needs to have his... That's ADHD right there. Maybe Hawkeye is severe ADHD and he just didn't notice that he left it yeah, on the shelf. He didn't have, I mean, he hasn't... 
He hasn't worked with Iron Man yet, so he doesn't have the magical push a button and foo. It's right. like attached to a glove or whatever yeah, things right. he has. It just you know, out, he right. has to go with an old school bow and arrow. And everyone knows if you've seen any sort of Robin Hood that it's very awkward to walk around with a strung bow on. It's yeah. also not great for this bow string, but that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> and so like, if you have to sit there and like string your bow while you're inside in a science lab, it makes sense. You know, he checked them into his special bow and arrow locker and he's got his little thumbprint to be able to check it out when it's time. And so it's just sitting there, but it's okay for him to have his gun with him because he can still shoot like that. Because soldiers got guns. That's what yes, we know. Yeah. Exactly. And not right. every yes. soldier has a bow and arrow. To my right. point, it's his only thing. I know. I know. Thing. And right. I, I would know. I'd like to introduce a term for the canon for this show, because I think you just said a minute ago, Kathy, to pew pew at the pew pew. But when <laughs> Hawkeye's doing it, I think we need a different sound. I think it's something like swing. He needs to swing at the pew pew with his arrows. Or, oh, I see. I'm a, c- a little concerned about swinging as a term oh. for this. Um, not appropriate, I think, is where my brain went, but that could just be me. Oh, I didn't know. What is the, what we need an appropriate? Well, swing, swing is from, uh, uh, oh, is it an SNL thing? Yeah, it's the SNL, um, Mike Myers. What's the, oh, you're that? right. You're right. So we don't want to introduce any <sighs> inappropriate. Yeah. What about a twang? Twang. twang. There you go. Uh, he needs to twang at the pew pew. We, what we need to do is look in the comics and say, what, what, do, what's the sound? What do they write when Hawkeye shoots an arrow? Snicked yes, for Wolverine. Yes. Like, yeah, what is Hawkeye? We okay, we can. for Spider-Man. Whip for right. Spider-Man. Comic people, you need to figure yep. that out. Yes. Figure that out. Send we'll a letter. Here. Yep. Yep. Okay. One other, I have one a other no note. prize ready. Yeah, it's ready to <laughs> send. Uh, your prize is getting read on <laughs> yes. the podcast. That's, That's on right. the air. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, just one last note. As far as the blue pew pew, when Loki shoots it at our NASA scientist, she's busy work, hide, working, hiding behind her desk. I don't know why he even shoots her, because she's clearly not attacking. She's just cowering. I mean, to be fair, she's on the computer. And even though Loki is an Asgardian alien and has never seen a computer, he can tell that right. she's in charge she's, of something. She's sending an email. Yeah, she's yeah. Very <laughs> just a sternly worded email right now to HR. Yep. Um, and but then when it's Hawkeye and the two guys shooting, he blasts and it hits the the uh, the agent that Hawkeye was uh, um, in front of before Hawkeye rolls out of the way, and he disintegrates. So this is essentially doing what the Tesseract did in the last film. And I just wanted to make note that not only does the blue blast kill people, but sometimes it disintegrates them as well, which <laughs> we we hadn't seen until this point. So. Again, Kathy, to your point, when it's blue shooting stuff, it kind of all is going to be doing the same thing in this universe yep. is what we're learning yep. here. Yeah. Yep. Yep. They didn't even know what these infinity stones did yet. So No. So there it is. Well, as we get to the end of this minute, Loki's kind of had his fun blasting at people, and now it's a pause as he kind of looks and sees what's going on. Pretty much everybody is hiding or laying on the ground. And uh, we see sparks, sparks of flying. Um, any last thoughts on anything within this minute from either of you? I loved the sound design mm. in this little minute. It's so poignant because there's so much silence around everything but the pew pew and the kick 
kick and the bone bang bang crunching. Yes, yeah, bone crunching. The absolutely, bone crunching. that was the worst. So yeah. much. Yeah. But then you have this musical interlude at the end of the minute that just kind of like builds up this epic moment of ha ha. Loki's in charge now. And I thought that was really magically done. It's handled well, and it does give him that that moment to look at, kind of look at the destruction I have wrought. And uh, once again, I kicked by my rule. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, it is a fun minute. Um, we're going to be back with Kathy tomorrow to talk about minute seven, and we'll dig in a little more as to what's going on there. But Kathy... Uh, thank you so much, so much for joining us today. It's been a thrill. Yeah, thank you so much, Andy and Pete, for letting me come play. Oh, we love it. Uh, tell everybody what you're up to. Where where can they track you down out there? Yeah, you can go find me at kathycampbell.com, which has links out to all of the fun things I do all over the internet and in real life, too, because there's real life things that happen sometimes. Get away from your computers and phones, <laughs> friends. Go take a walk. Watch out for the pew-pews, though. Yes, Always watch out for the pew-pews. Watch out for the twangs and the pew-pews. <laughs> well, we will have the links for that in the show notes. Uh, so definitely check that out and see what Kathy's up to, because she's up to a lot of great stuff out there on the interwebs. So we'll be back tomorrow to talk about Minute 7. So thanks as always, Pete. Uh, and tomorrow, Loki twang, you brainwashed my heart. <laughs> <laughs> Until next time, true believers. Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is Message to the World by Anthony Vega, and this season's show art is by Winston Yabo. Find the show at truestory.fm. If your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, please consider doing that for our show. <laughs>